Today's year begins four lines from the top of Daftes Vov. We continue with halachas, with laws regarding meal offerings. Korav HaKometz Shire Once the handful that's taken from the bowl containing the meal offering is put onto the fire, then the balance, the rest of the mincha, that which remains after you remove the handful, necholim are the, the uh, that is eaten, it's baked, it's prepared by the kohanim for their own personal benefit. Minolan, what's the source for this? The order, namely, first you have to offer into the fire the handful of uh, flour from the meal offering, and then they can eat from it. The Pasuk says, The Kohen offers that which is to be put into the fire. And and that which remains afterwards is for Aaron, who is the first Kohen, and his sons, his descendants. Korav HaKometz. When we speak about the Kometz being offered, being exposed to the fire, which then enables the balance, that which remains in the bowl, from which the handful was taken to be eaten by the Kohanim, there are two opinions, each one according to his own approach, with regard to how much fire, or exposure to fire, must take place uh, regarding the handful that was put into it, before the balance can be eaten. Or, let us say, in other words, no one says that the eating of the balance, the shirayim, the balance of the mincha, of the meal offering, can take place only once the entire handful has been consumed and turned into uh, to ash. No one says that. However, there are two opinions as to how much burning must take place before the balance can be eaten. Let's continue in the Gemara. The itmar the kometz, the handful, uh, once it's been put into the fire, how much burning must take place before the shirayim can be eaten. Rabbi Hanino Omar, Mishetishlot Bohur. The word Tishlot Bohur, without translating it, literally means where the fire takes hold a bit. Rabbi Yochanan Omar, Mishetitzas Ha'ur Berubo. Only at a point that the majority of the handful of flour has been taken hold of by the fire. So that Rabbi Yochanan requires a greater fire consumption of the handful before the balance, the shirayim, can be eaten by the kohen. So they kind of have to wait a little bit longer than they would, according to Rabbi Hanina. We continue with a, a quote from the long Tanaic source on Yud Dalid Amid Beis, the source that's been preoccupying us uh, since then. It says, With regard to the shirayim that they are given for their personal consumption, are entitled to mix into the meal offering the flour, they can mix into it wine, oil, and honey. My time, why do they have this right? Why do they have such a range, uh, so many options available to them? Omar Kro, the Pasuk says, 
uh, and Rashi quotes the phrase lechon esatim lemoshcha. And here the Gemara quotes just one word lemoshcha, and the explanation of that word lemoshcha for means ligdula, for greatness, for uh, benefit. Kederech shamlochim ochlim. We say for greatness as kings would eat, meaning is a sense of of royalty uh, involved with eating the meal offering. And just like a king isn't limited in how he prepares or how his food is prepared, so to the Kohanim have a full range of options. We, however, the Ain Asurim Elomilachamits, the Brysa said on Yudalamid base that there is one restriction, and that is they cannot leave it to become leavened. It cannot be left to ferment. The Pasuk says, Lo Seofer Chomets Chelkom. Omar Reb Shimon ben Lokish, and in looking at this pasuk, Reb Shimon Lokish says, "Afilu chalkom, even their own portion, meaning the shirayim lo seofe chametz, cannot be baked in a leavened fashion. So rather, they have to be careful not to allow it to sit. Kohanim year round, with regard to their menachos, are like the general population with regard to matzis when it comes to Pesach." Our Mishnah on Dafyud Dalit Amad Aleph said, Kol HaMenachas, and the Mishnah pointed out, all Menachas need oil and Levona. Levona is a spice, a granular spice that's added to the Menachas. And it said, with the exception of the Minchas Sota. The, the Sota uh, meal offering uh, does not have Shemen nor Levona. Well, this gives rise to a question. It takes four lines to, to, to develop this question. Uh, the Mishnah, having stated a rather bro- broad ranging, uh, inclusive rule that all Menachas have uh, Shemin Levona, is that really so? And we're going to bring that into question. Is there not the meal offering brought by the sinner? The Rachmona Omar, regarding that particular sacrifice called the Minchas Chote, it says, Lo Yosimo Leo Shemin Velo Yitain Oleo Levona. Oil is not added, nor is the Lavona spice added. So we have to then resolve what our Mishnah claims with the reality of Menachas. So the Gemara responds, Hochi Ko'omar. Here's a restatement of the Mishnah. You'll notice we've broken down this source into four sections Roman numeral 1, Roman numeral 2, 3, and 4. The uh, opening of the source deals with Menachas in general, and the fourth part of this source, the fourth section, deals with the Sota. So we're going to, you'll see that we're going, we'll be going from one extreme to the other. In the middle, uh, there's reference made to the Minchas Chote, number two, and the Minchas Omer, number three. So, and you'll see that in, we'll say, in decreasing order, how many characteristics there are regarding Minochas in general, four, say, prominent characteristics, and regarding those four characteristics, we're going to be reducing one by one until we get to the Minchas Sota, where none of the original characteristics which are common to all Menachas will be found by the Minchas Sota. And that was the, we'll say, the spirit of our Mishnah. Presenting all Menachas with their four characteristics and the Minchas Sota having none of those original characteristics. Now let's see the source. 
in, and put it in, and, and present it in practical terms. Call him tunos shemen ulavona. Notice we numbered subcategory one shemen two levona ubos minachitim and they come for its wheat flour and ubos solas. Solas is a refined, well sifted flour without debris in it. The next category minchas chote the sin offering, the, the meal uh, sin offering. Af alpi she'eno tuuna shemen ulavona even though. The exa- um, say characteristics one and two are not relevant. They don't have uh, oil. They don't have levona. Bo min ubo solis. Two of the four original menachas characteristics are still present. They come from wheat and they come from a finely sifted wheat. Minchas haomer afalpi she bo minchas the Minchas Omer, this is a meal offering, it's a barley meal offering, it's making it rather unique, uh, is offered on the 16th of Nisan. And that is called, that meal offering is called the Minchas Omer, even though it comes from barley, Tuuna Shemen, Ulavona, Ubo Geres. It requires oil and Lavona. Now, Geres is a quality of flour. With regard to Saurim, which is parallel to Soles when it comes to Chitim. So the Minchas Omer, with the exception of the fact that it comes from Saurim, barley, it seems to have all the characteristics of Minochas in general. And number four, the Zoo, the Soita, Enotuna, Lo Shemen Velo Levona, Ubomina Saurim, Ubo Kemach, no oil, no Levona. It is barley, making it unique, meaning unlike the general realm of Menachas. And it comes Kemach. Kemach is, uh, is flour as soon as the original uh, barley grains were ground, creating flour, but not sifted, as Rashi on the Mishnah explains. So you can see that the Minchasota has none of the characteristics of the original Korban Mincha. Uh, means Minochus in general. Now, we continue with a Tanaic source, and we have some markings in the source on the side. Under the Mivneh heading, the, the triangle highlights the word Bedin. Bedin means uh, logic would have told you, and the, the logic that is presented here deals with meal offerings. We're going to deal with the Minchas Chote, the Mincha meal offering brought by someone who had sinned, and we'll deal with an animal offering, the standard sin offering. It's referred to uh, by the term Chatos Chelev. Chelev is forbidden fats that are found in kosher variety animals. If one eats Chelev, so if done so, Bishogek, he brings a Korban Chatos, that becomes the, we'll say, the standard for sin offerings, animal sin offerings. So that even though it's referred to as chatos chilev, understand it as the as a basic korban chatos. In both cases, logic would tell you that the uh, added elements, for example, in a meal offering, the shemen and levona should be present in a minchas chote. Why? And on the side we indicated so that the sinner shouldn't benefit by being able to save money on his required sacrifice. And with regard to the animal offering, the chatos that's offered, technically it should require the accompanying 
uh, wine meal offering that you find by other sacrifices in, and yet it doesn't. Why in these two cases do we say that the accompanying elements are not required? Well, we say that because of the I don't know, dismal nature of the uh, circumstances of these korbanos being brought, namely they're brought in the context of sin. Therefore they don't have these beautifying or enhancing elements but logic would have said that they should require them so that the sinner doesn't get off cheap. So now the Gemara inside. Tanya, Omar Rabbi Shema, Bedin Hu. Logically, it should be that the meal offering brought by the sinner should require oil and levona so that the sinner shouldn't come out benefiting by being able to bring a korban that ultimately costs less than others who would bring a, a, a meal offering. So then why is it that they that it doesn't require the shem and levona? So that his sacrifice does not appear in a beautified or a quality fashion. Mudar or hadar is something that is exalted, something that's beautified, something that's rich, so that we don't want the uh, mincha brought by a sinner to be exalted. So we therefore tell him, leave out the oil and the spice, which otherwise would enhance that sacrifice. Ubedinu and logically, the korban chatas animal offering that a person brings, the sin offering, should require nesachim. Nesachim are the accompanying uh, wine meal offerings that are brought in Hebrew with birth to soles and the yayin. Rashi says on the side, a few lines up, nesachim soles lemincha that means a uh, it's a, a a wheat flour meal offering and the isaron is a measure for a keves for a sheep one isaron for a sheep yayin v'shemen revisahin kemo shemakuven leoyla ushlamen wine and oil a revis hahin a hin is a measure a liquid measure so you need a quarter of a hin which is what you do bring when you bring a an Ola or Shlomim type sacrifice. Yet, when it comes to the Chathas Chelev, it does not require Nesachim. Why should we have thought that it should require Niskar? So that the sinner shouldn't be rewarded by being able to bring a less expensive offering. So why is it so that we forego it, that it doesn't require those, and he ends up, in fact, saving money? We don't want a, a sinner's offering to be uh, exalted, to be uh, enriched. Avol the sin offering brought by a mitzora who was healed from his tzoras, and the osham, the osham brought by a mitzora, teunin nesachim, they do require nesachim. boyin al their sacrifices, it's not brought in the context of atonement for sin. Since, so, so, since they're not sin-based, they do require the Nesachim. Aini, is this last comment really so? For seven different reasons, which include seven different types of sin, 
the goyim is soras. Soras comes upon a person. So how can the source maintain that the chatas and osham of a mitzorah are not sin-oriented? When the, when the initial affliction, in, in fact, is sin-oriented. The Gemara answers, Hossam, in the case of the mitzorah, minigehu the ifbale. The uh, affliction itself, the tzoras, which involves a, a whitening of the skin and... Quite a, there's quite a, a bit more detail to it than we're saying. You can, of course, open up a Chumash and see in Parshas Tazria the descriptions. The Nigoyim that afflict the Mitzorah, they are that which serves as atonement. He might see Korban, the fact that a, a Mitzorah, when he's healed from Saras, brings sacrifices, that's not for atonement. That's Lishteria Bikachim Hudikomaisi. He brings the sacrifices upon the conclusion of his Saras in order to permit him to enable him to resume eating from sacrificial meat, something prohibited him during the period of his tzoras. Elo me'ata, well, with the, all of this having been said, chatas nazir teituna nesachem lefisheinu ba'al chait, a sin offering brought by the nazir. A nazir brings a korban chatas upon the conclusion of his Nazirus. It should require Nisachim, and yet we say it does not. Why should it require Nisachim? Because it's not be- being brought. Because of a sin, person accepted Nazirus, accepted the self-imposed restriction of wine and other great products. Where's there any element of sin? And, and being that there's no sin, it's a chatos that the Nazir brings, should require Nisachim, and yet it doesn't. This uh, point that the Chatas Nozir does not require Nesachim, this is in consonance with the opinion of Rebelozar HaKapor that says that a Nozir in fact is a type of sinner. In other words, the Almighty enabled him to partake of wine, granted people permission, and he comes and imposes a restriction on something that the Almighty allowed. That's called, in Hebrew we say, he caused himself pain in, from the imposed wine restriction. That is a, that according to Rabbi Kapur is a, is a wrong thing to do. Don't impose restrictions on yourself other than that which the Torah Mandates that the Torah restricts for you to uh, restrict yourself from consuming wine and great products. Something the Torah allows you to do—that's considered a sinful form of behavior. And therefore, we understand why someone would have the opinion that a chatas nazir is brought without nisachim. The Mishnah on Daf Yudalam said, Rabbi Gamliel Omer. Regarding the Soto and the uh, fact she brings a barley sacrifice, a barley meal offering, so he says that just like her behavior was the behavior of an animal, you have a married woman going off with another man, so that's like an animal. So to the the Corbin uh, that she brings should be brought from uh, material from substance that animals eat. Animals eat barley. Animals do not consume wheat, as far as the Gemara is concerned in general. Tanya. Omer Lohen, Rabban Gamliel, L'Chachamim. Rabban Gamliel, 
who we just cited from the Mishnah Daf Yudah, turns to the to his colleagues, the other sages, and he says, "Sofrim, sofrim," an expression referring to uh, scholars. Hanichuli, leave me. And I will uh, explain the the Minchas Sota uh, allegorically. We continue at the top of Omid Beis. The Shamei the Rabbi Meir de Komar, Rabbi Leil had heard Rabbi Meir saying, "He ha'echilasu madane oilam." She the Sota, in order to entice the paramour into uh, intimacy. Well, she had to lead him into it. She fed him all kinds of delicacies, madane olam, fineries, delicacies. Therefore, measure for measure, so to speak, her the sacrifice she has to bring is that of animal food. This analysis would apply to the uh, lewd woman who was of financial means. Then you can use this um, allegory that uh, she fed him uh, all kinds of dainties. That's something that a rich woman could afford, and therefore he is to eat the, or he or she is to bring the meal offering from an opposite extreme source. So, as we said, that whole uh, that that drusha uh, fits in fits in well if the sota was a, me, a woman of means. We can then describe her as someone that was machil ma'adonim. What about a sota that is poor? She wasn't feeding him ma'adonim olam. Why then should her mincha be from so'rim? Elo, rather new approach. Kishem shema'asel ma'isa behema kach korbona ma'echo Just like her behavior, her going into private with another man. She's a married woman. What's she going into private into seclusion with another man? Well, it's just like her mysim were like the mysim of an animal, so too the sacrifice that she has to bring is Michael Behema. The Mishnah. On the side, under our Nosei topic heading, we've written Klicheres Shel Hasota, the clay vessel that is relevant to the sota process which will be filled with water and she will drink from it the toisephus offer lamayim and the addition of dirt to that water the mishnah hoyamevi fioli shelcheres he would bring a cup made of cheres of clay and rashi says kois shelmayim it's a coast that is uh, a cup of water. The amount of water that was put into this clay cup was one half lug. The water coming from the kior, the water tank that stood in the base Hamigdish courtyard. Rebuta Omer Revius. Rebuta said, not a half a lug, but a quarter of a lug, half the amount. Kishem Shimemayit Biksav, just like Rebuta reduces the amount that needs to be written in the Sota Parsha, the portion of the Torah that's written for this ritual, Kach So to Rebuta reduces the amount of water. So we'll see later what the Mishnah is alluding to when it says that Rebuta reduces with regard to the amount that needs to be written. 
Nichnas lehechal ufono limino. The kohen would enter the hechal, the enclosed part of the base hamikdash. Turn to his right. Umokoin hoya shom amo al amo. On the floor there was a place that measured one by one amo. Vitavlo shel shayish. There was a tile made of marble. Vitabas hoisa kvuaba. There was a ring uh, in the, in this tile that you would grab the tile by a ring that was set into it and pick it up. When he would pick it up, and from underneath this tile, he would take dirt. And he would put, and, and you would ask, how much dirt does he need to take? The, the amount, enough that it would be uh, noticeable when put uh, on the water. Shenemar, the Posik says in this regarding this, Uminha Ofar Shriya Bakaka, Mishkan Yikach Hakain Vinosan El Hamayim. From the dirt that's on the floor of the Mishkan, the Kohen shall take and put it El Hamayim. We look in the uh, Rashi Vinosan El Hamayim, Midaloksi Vinosan Bamayim from the fact the Posik doesn't simply say he puts it in the water, El El Hamayim, rather it uses that expression. Mashma Shiloye Nivla Besochan. It implies that it's not water, not it's not dirt that simply gets absorbed into the water and is no longer noticeable. The Rashi just before he has to put enough quantity of. Uh, of dirt, she nira v'nikar al hamayim that it should be visible on the water surface. So now we turn to the Gemara, and you'll notice if you skim ahead in the Gemara, there's some markings that need to be explained. You see diamonds, and on the side of the Gemara, a nosei slash mivne uh, heading appears. The diamond uh, indicates mikoros l'rabbi Shmuel. The Klicheres shall soita boy Leos Chadash. Sources for that which Rabbi Shmuel teaches that the clay vessel must be Chadash, new, brand new, not a used vessel. The Gemara Tana Fioli shall Cheres Chadosha, Divrei Rabbi Shmuel. Notice we've dashed underline Chadosha. We're going to be focusing on that in this discussion. A new clay cup, according to Rabbi Shmuel, is to be used. My time the Rabbi Shmuel. What is the basis of Rishel that insists on it being new? Approach number one. Gomar Kli Kli Mimitsora. He has a word comparison, Shava, from the topic of the Mitsora. Ma lahalon cheres chadosha, just like in the mitzora purification process, a new clay vessel is needed. Afkan, so too by the sota cheres chadosha, a new clay vessel is needed. Once again, because the word kli appears in both topics, the hasam minalon, and there by the mitzora, how do you know that? 
the the vessel required must be new. Dichtiv, it says v'shochares atzipor achas el kli cheres al mayim chayim. In the mitzora purification process, after the mitzora is healed from the tsoras, the skin discoloration that he experienced, the pasuk describes the procedure: a bird is slaughtered. Uh, one of two birds are slaughtered over a klicheres, over a clay vessel that has in it water, mayim chayim. Mayim chayim is water drawn from a live spring. Ma mayim chayim Just like the term mayim chayim, water drawn from a live spring, is indicative of new water, water that hasn't been recycled. So to the vessel that's going to contain the Mayim Chaim there by the Mitzorah must be a vessel that was not used for any Malacha, for any purpose. In other words, new. So we've established then that by the Mitzorah the vessel is like the water. And just like the water is unused, it's new water, so to the vessel there is new. And just like by the Mitzora, the word Kli appears, so to by Sota the word Kli appears, so by Sota we also require a new clay vessel. The Gemara asks, well if we're already making this comparison, if just like by the Mitzora, the Posuk speaks about water drawn from a live spring by the sota are you going to say the same thing let's uh, note the brackets we have here and we're going to skip the brackets momentarily this attempt to derive sota from the mitzora and say that you would have to have mayim chayim by the sota as well that can be challenged. Mikfrach means we can undo this comparison. Namely, don't learn Sota from Mitzora. Why? In the Mitzora process, there are additional requirements. We don't have to translate them. There are items that are needed in the Sota purification process. The Eitz Erez, the Ezov, and the Shni Toloas. And therefore, we could conclude that the requirements by the Mitzorah extend beyond the requirements that we would expect to find by the Sota. So that at this point, I'm not going to be able to derive the laws of Sota from the laws of Mitzorah. Mitzorah has additional stringencies and expectations, and therefore, I'm back to square one. How do you know by the Sota you need to have a new vessel? Let's go back to the bracketed section. The Gemara had asked just before the brackets if we're going to be learning Sota from Mitzorah. Well, then, are you going to tell me 
Just like by the Mitzorah, the water there must be from a live spring, so too by the Sota. The Gemara says, the Rebbe Yishmuel, we're reading in the brackets, Rebbe Yishmuel, Hachinami. In fact, according to Rebbe Yishmuel, we will say that. The Yomar Rebbe Yochanan, May Kior, Rebbe Yishmuel Omer, May Ma'ayon Hain. Rebbe Yochanan, it tells us that according to Rebbe Yishmuel, the water that's in the Kior, its origin was actually from a live spring. The water in the Kiar can be from other sources as well. So, at this point, since we're focusing on Shitas Rabbi Shmuel, with the suggestion that the that the Sota water should be Mayim Chaim, just like by the Mitzorah, we're saying yes. Uh, in fact, according to Rabbi Shmuel, since the Sota water is drawn from the Kior, and the Kior water must be from a live spring, Sota water is also like the Mitzora, Mayim Chayim. Nevertheless, the Gemara comes back with its question, as we indicated earlier. How can you be so certain that the laws of Sota should be derived from the laws of Mitzorah you can still challenge this whole approach of learning Sota from Mitzorah on the grounds that Mitzorah has a higher standard, higher expectations and therefore since the Mitzorah has these additional elements to it I don't know necessarily that by the Sota the Klicheres must be new. That might be a standard applicable to the Mitzorah, but not necessarily to the Sota. Omar Rabba, Omar Kro, Beklicheres. The Posuk uh, that appears by the Sota says Beklicheres. And grammatically, the Gemara feels. The type of clay vessel that is used for the sota is that kind of clay vessel that has been mentioned elsewhere. If we look at the Rashi, across from here, Rashi Omar Rabo, the Hule, Bekli Shomarti Loch Kvar. Hochi mashma le l'rabo. The pasuk uh, that's um, relevant to Sota indicates that the Torah is referring to a kli vessel that has been mentioned elsewhere. Midoloksi, from the fact that the pasuk does not say v'lokach kli cheres v'nosan bo mayim, and he shall take a clay vessel and put into it water. Uksiv bikli cheres. And rather, it says the water is placed into a kli cheres. Mashma shekvar husker klize That this clay vessel by the Sota is a clay vessel that's been alluded to in another context. V'yomarachmona hacha. And the Torah is saying over here by the Sota. In that same type 
of vessel that I spoke about elsewhere. Kach oisam umayin. You, what's that other topic? The mitzora. The pasuk that, of course, we're referring to. You can see is quoted on the side of our Gemara by Midbar Parakei Pasuk Yitzayin. A little further up on the page, the pasuk says, "Velokah hakain mayim kedoshim." So in that pasuk you see Bikli Cheres. And as Rabo explained, grammatically that implies that the Torah, in the case of the Sota, is making reference to the Kli Cheres, the type of Kli Cheres, the state of a Kli Cheres that you find elsewhere, namely by Mitzorah. And by Mitzorah we've already established that the Kli Cheres is like the Mayim Chayim, something that was not used before. Omar Rava Lo Shanu Now here Rava comments on the opinion of the Chachomim. It's a, there's a, it's a tricky switch here, but according to the Rabbonon who disagree with Rabbi Shmuel that say a Kli Cheres Yoshan, an old Kli Cheres, a used Kli Cheres, is acceptable for the Sota. That is true, Elo, Lo Shanu Elo, Shelo Nisachmu Ponov. The word Nisachmu, Uchma, means darkened or blackened. It's true, provided, it's in other words, a used vessel is okay, provided it hasn't been blackened. Rashi adds, uh, blackened Aliyadeho Ur through uh, its exposure to fire. Uh, if the vessel is blackened, psulen, it's unfit. My why is it unfit? Answer, dumya demayim. Because the vessel, in the case of the sota, is also compared to water. Just like uh, water is pure water, it's not something that's undergone change so too the vessel is acceptable provided it hasn't undergone change let's take a look at Rashi even though we're not, the Rabbana do not learn from Mitzora the Rabbana nevertheless do make a comparison, an internal comparison, internal within the realm of Sota between the vessel and the water. Most granted, according to the Rabbanon, the water doesn't come from a live spring as the Rabbanon accept waters for the Sota from other sources. However, the water hasn't gone through change. The vessel also must be one that didn't uh, undergo change. It's, we'll say, its natural color as it was when it was originally manufactured. But if it's been blackened, it's not acceptable. The Gemara continues with a question. And this question uh, is introduced on the side under our no say. We started this topic already. Klicheres a clay vessel for the sota that's been blackened is unfit even according to the Rabbonon and here is the question number two that we've written on the side imagine you have this blackened clay vessel but 
you put it back into the kiln, the, the furnace, the kiln in which clay vessels are hardened, manufactured, and through exposure to the fire, the original color is restored. In other words, the blackened aspect is removed. Is it acceptable then? The Gemara. Boy Rova. Nisachmu, the vessel, the clay vessel had turned black. It was put back into the kiln. Nislavnu, maybe you see the root of that word, lavan, lamed beiz nun, and it became whitened. Mahu, is it acceptable? And now we analyze two sides of the question. Mi amrinon, do we say, kevon di idchu, idchu, that, well, once it's been pushed aside legally, or halachically, namely, once it's turned black, and we said it's been rejected, the rejection is permanent, and you can't restore its acceptability. Or do we say that now that it's returned to a to an acceptable appearance, it returns, it's acceptable. Toshma, and we now we try to respond. These are uh, the uh, elements that we alluded to before in the case of the Mitzorah, in the case of the Mitzorah purification process. Eitz Erez, Ezov, and Shnitolos, Shehifshil Bohen Kuposel Achorov Tzulen. The Eitz Erez is a piece of wood from an Erez tree. Ezov is a hyssop branch, and Shnitolos is a dyed uh, thread. And if these were used, let's say you attach them to a box, you made a type of uh, rope from them and you slung a box over your back using these materials to uh, uh, be attached to the kupa, to the box, so they are rendered unfit. V'hohasam, in, in that example, hadri umifshiti, you can unravel them from the connection to the box and restore them to their original state and Yet, the source says, Psulin, they're unfit. So the fact that something can be restored doesn't requalify it. Once it's been pushed aside, rendered unfit, it's unfit. The Gemara says, no, you can't conclude from that particular example of the Eitzeres, Ezev, and Shnit Talas that were made into some type of uh, rope, because Hassam the Ikluf Iklufi the bark or the peel, the skin that's, that's part of these, um, uh, these items when used and attached to a box slung over your shoulder, it gets peeled, ikluf, peeled. And therefore, even though you unravel them from the attachment to the box, they do not get restored to their original state. Rashi adds a nice, uh, let's say, detail that we didn't include in our explanation, uh, regarding the Eitz Erez, Ezov, and Shnei Tulas that were used uh, as a rope, it doesn't say in this source that they were used for a particular role, that they were used for something. The source is saying 
that the reason they're psulin isn't because they were used in the performance of some type of activity, some type of role, but rather because they underwent change. They became bent, out of shape. Rashi goes on, In that case, true that when they were attached to the box, so they might have been bent out of shape, but couldn't they be restored to their original state? And yet, they're rendered unfit. So we see from there that once something is pushed aside, is pushed aside. The Gemara then answered, no, there, it's not something that can be restored. It's considered a shinui de lohadar, using the Loshan you see in Rashi, it's a change that doesn't get restored to its original status. So that from that particular source, that concerning the Eitz Eres, I don't have a conclusion to the, uh, clay, the uh, clay vessel that was blackened, put back into the kiln and restored to its original unblack and non-black color. Nichnas the Mishnah spoke about the Kohen entering the Heichal, the enclosed part of the Beis HaMegdish, and then turning right, making a right turn upon entering the Heichal. My time, what, what's uh, the basis of this right turn? Diomar Mar, we have learned, Kopinos Shatapoyne Lo Yu Elo When you have to make a turn, unless otherwise specified, you are expected to make a right turn. This is derived from psukim that describe a, a, a water pool or tank that was in the base Hamigdash built by Shlomo Hamelech that was supported on the back of 12 cow figures and the, uh, the, the directions that are quoted in the Pesach uh, regarding those 12 figures, three uh, each on each one of the four sides is the source for a right hand turn, right hand movement. So that's the basis of when you have to make a turn. And as, this, uh, as I said, unless otherwise specified, uh, you would make a right turn. This has a general application to the Kohen when he's doing work on the top of the altar. He ascends the ramp and generally speaking would make a right turn when he reaches the uh, the required area of the Mezbeach on which he has to do his altar service. The Gemara continues, And here the Gemara is introduced by a topic heading we have on the side, Ofer Shel Sota, the dirt used in the Sota process that's added to the water, the, the gathering, the taking of the dirt from the floor of the Azora. We're going to see uh, different opinions on this topic. Then we now turn to the Gemara. Tonurabonon. Mina Ofara Okay, here we have the Pasuk from the Sota in Bamidbar Parakate. Pasuk Yudzain. We quoted this Pasuk earlier. Yochol Yisakim Bibachutz Biachnis. Would it be enough for the Kohen to take some dirt from outside the Heichal and simply bring it into the Heichal? And once you bring it into the Heichal, that dirt is, is useful for the Sota process. Talmud Lomar, so the, the Torah answers that question and says, no, just by bringing it into the Heichal, that's not enough 
to uh, make it uh, fit for the Sota process because the Pasuk says Bekaka Mishkan dirt that's from the floor of the Mishkan not simply dirt brought into the Mishkan well Ibekaka Mishkan if you're going to then focus or emphasize that element of the Pasuk from the floor of the Mishkan Yocho Yachbor Bekardumos does that mean then you should bring shovels into the Mishkan and dig into the floor in order to uh, access the dirt for the Sota process? Talmud Lomar, Asher Yihyeh. Simply d- dirt that is there, not dirt that you have to dig out. Asher implies it's already present and accessible without digging for it. So then how is it to be done? Yesh Shom Havei. If there is dirt on the floor. Uh, we, we described before dirt that's under the tile, loose dirt that's under the tile of the uh, Heichal. Then bring it. Ein Shom Tein Shom. And if there is no dirt, accessible dirt there on the floor, then bring some and put it there. The uh, double star that you see here. Um, has relevance to a Rashi that appears on Daftes Zayin Omid Aleph. So when we make a reference to the Rashi there on Tes Zayin Omid Aleph, you realize that we're referring to this particular point in the source. There, there's the, the Rashi uses the expression as was derived earlier. It's a reference to what we see over here. Let's continue then in the Gemara. Having seen this source, as far as the dirt is concerned, we're talking about dirt that has to come from the floor of the Mishkan, but not dirt that you would dig out with a shovel from the floor of the Mishkan. Tanyo Idoch, another source, and you'll see another opinion in this source, this teaches us that the dirt for the Sota process is dirt that was brought from outside the Hechal and brought into the Hechal. Once you bring it into the Hechal, that dirt can then be used and added to the Sota water. The Pasuk, and, and, and that you can see is a point of disagreement with regard to the source just before, you might notice we have little arrows to the immediate right-hand side of the uh, left-hand side, that is, of the Gemara text. Here, in this second source, we say, That's what you're supposed to do. In the source before, where you see the uh, arrow above, there it said, Could it be? Meaning, not so. Well, according to the second source, the words, what does that teach us? Because as far as the origin of the dirt is concerned, there doesn't seem to be any connection with the dirt for the Sota and the floor of the Mishkan. All that's necessary is that the dirt be brought into the Mishkan, into the Heichal, and that's enough. So what does the phrase Mishkan mean according to this opinion? Isi ben Yehuda Oimer Lahavi to include Karko and here there's a 
bit of a discussion concerning what are we coming to include. So um, Rashi at the end of, at the end of this omid indicates that the girsa should not include that which we have in parentheses and simply read base olamim again lahavi karka base olamim to include the floor of the permanent base amish because up till now the pasuk is talking about the karka hamishkan so. What does Bikaka Mishkan, what's the role of this phrase? It's here to tell me not only the Mishkan, but the Beis Hamikdash also. The same applies that dirt brought into the Beis Hamikdash that eventually is built in Jerusalem. That is the dirt to be used for the Sota process. In other words, dirt brought into the Heichal of the Beis Hamikdash. Beis Alamim, the term Beis Alamim reference refers to the permanent Beis Hamikdash. That is the way we describe the Beis Hamikdash in Jerusalem. Isi ben Menachem Omer, so as to not confuse the names. The first name we have in this source, we have two appearances of a of rabbis named Isi. Have the first, uh, say the same first name. Their fathers are different, so we indicate that with the dash underlining. This is a different person, Isi ben Menachem. Uh, we note we have noted we're at the top of Daftez Zayin Omer Aleph. Isi ben Menachem Omer, Eino Sorech. There is no need to use a posuk, namely Bekarka Mishkan, as the basis of including the base of and the base Hamikdash. Why not? I can conclude the base Hamikdash as being similar to the Mishkan through logic. Uma betumakala lo Mind you, with regard to light-level defilement, that's a literal translation, but it's not so light-level. Let's not make any mistake here. What this is referring to is someone who enters the uh, the Beis Hamikdash or the Mishkan in a state of Tumas body defilement, entering the Beis Hamikdash in a, or the Mishkan in a state of Tumas body defilement. Uh, results in a penalty known as kores. Kores is a heavenly inflicted punishment that's a, a very serious. It involves dying young, pre- dying prematurely, or a person's children dying. There are different explanations of what kores is. And mind you, in the realm of tumakala, and why is it called tumakala when it carries with it such a severe penalty? The answer is because it tuma. Uh, entering base, I mean, to save defilement does not carry with it a court appointed execution. There are many violations in the Torah that the court is not involved with in terms of uh, punishment. Uh, eating on Yom Kippur, doing malacha, doing forbidden work on Yom Kippur carries, carries with it kores, but no court execution. It's, they're viewed as lighter f- types of offense than those offenses that are punishable by misas based in court execution. So mind you, in the case of Tomakala, Lochile Kakosuf, the Torah makes no distinction between the Mishkan and the base Hamikdash. The uh, basis for that is from Psukim that Rashi quotes. So in the case of Tumakala, entering Beis Hamikdash in the state of Tumasaguf, they are treated the same. 
Betumas Eishes Ish Chamura Lo Kol Shekain, and all the more so when it comes to the defilement that the Torah refers to when speaking about a married woman and forbidden relations, which does carry with it misas based in, all the more so we're not going to make any distinction between the Beis Hamikdash and the Mishkan. So once the Torah tells you that when it comes to Soto, which is this realm of Tumas Ashes Ish, that the dirt is uh, added uh, to the water, in the case of the Mishkan, the same thing will be expected in the case of the Beis Hamikdash. I don't need a Pusik to include the Beis Hamikdash to be similar to what we say the, uh, concerning the Mishkan. So according to Isi ben Menachem, what does the phrase Bekarka Mishkan mean? Shelo yovi mitoch kupaso. That the dirt that you use should not be dirt that was uh, simply in a in a box, uh, in other words, unlike Isi ben Yehuda, who said that all that you have to do is bring the dirt into the heichal, and that's enough. It doesn't have to be from the floor. Just take it from, bring it in while, while in a box, and use that dirt. Here, Isi ben Menachem says, no, that's not sufficient. So then what are you supposed to do according to Isi ben Menachem? You're supposed to do like we said earlier. And that we made reference to the stars back on uh, Tes Vovomid Beis. Take a look at Rashi over here on the second narrow line. What does Isi ben Menachem do with the term Bekarka Mishkan? Shelo Yovi Mitoch Kuposo. Kli. That's a reference to putting the dirt in a vessel, Viachnis Lehechal, and enter the Hechal with that uh, box of dirt. Elo mekarka iso ito. Rather, the expectation is you're taking dirt from the floor. That's bekarka hamishkan. sham, and if there is no dirt under that tile that we alluded to before, yaviv yaniyach sham. Bring some dirt and put it there, and then pick it up from the floor and use it then for the sota process. Viachakaf yitlenu viniskayim asher so with this, we have a fulfillment of the expression in the Posik of Asher Yeh, that's dirt that happens to be there, and Bekaka, but it's taken from the floor. As we explained earlier, and here you see the two, the double star, and telling you to look back on Daftes Vavlam Base in the Gemara that we already learned. Before we conclude, uh, let us point out that the Gemara will continue discussing uh, issues of the dirt. The immediate topic that will follow, Mirza Shem will pick it up in our next shiur, has to do with the use of ash in lieu of dirt. Afer, uh, a word spelled with an aleph, aleph pei resh, afer, can it be used in lieu of ofar, ofar, a word spelled with an ayin, ayin pei resh. Mirza Shem, We'll get to that in our next year. With that, we conclude our Shior for today.